Hello and welcome to the 3H2 Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility Radio Show. Each episode, Lynn and Mustachio will explore continuums of meaning, varied perspectives, and thought seeds to place in the garden of the mind. Who knows what will grow? So sit back, stand up, drive or jog, whatever the motion may be, we are here to support each individual's journey to define health, happiness, and a humble perspective during the information era. Enjoy. Greetings! Today is Monday, July 25th, 2016, here in the lovely South Perry District of Spokane, Washington. Today is Season 2, Episode 2. And the 10 list is for a humble perspective. Today we will go over ideas, which uh, Mustachio and I came up with back on February 27th of 2015. So a little bit over a year ago, we had first explored a 10 list for humble perspective, humble exploration. What does it mean to be humble? This is the final installment of the three-part series for health, happiness, and a humble perspective. One of the life philosophies we express at 3H2Humans is a difference of health, happiness, and a humble perspective. Each person is going to have a slightly different idea of what these words mean, what ethics and morals and core values behaviors come along with these words. These are the ones that strike up for us. They have changed from 2015 to now, 2016, and who knows? In future land, we may update the list again. Information is alive. (laughs) It changes and grows as we humans change and grow. For the listener challenge, today's deals with clearing alerts and notifications. This is listener challenge number 16. Give attention to alerts, unread emails, notifications, and memory devices near maximum capacity. Start fresh. Start over. Complete pending requests and question irrelevant information on devices. Ask, what do I need to function? Tap on alerts to remove them. Turn off push notifications which hinder productivity. Silent phone when in public or at work. Clean out all email inboxes. Leave items which require action and batch respond at one time. Unsubscribe from undesired advertisements and newsletters. Clear podcasts which have ceased to download due to inactivity. Optimize function of frequently used devices. This listener challenge is a bit more direct, more of a list and suggestions for action rather than other listener challenges. We're a bit more anecdotal with a story theme. <laughs> this one is straightforward. It's a, it's a get it done type of listener challenge. Doing these things have helped me tremendously. I recently cleared out my inbox And then I felt cleaner. (laughs) It was weird how taking care of a tool allows it to better take care of me. And that's what this is about. Optimization of electronic devices. 
smartphones and tablets, the internet, these concepts are relatively new in terms of human evolution. And we're learning as humans how to use them and optimize these devices for our benefit rather than our destitute. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Mustachio points up a funny line that is in a book that we will go over soon, The Simpsons and Their Mathematical Secrets by Simon Singh. One of the lines that Homer had said was something to the effect of alcohol. It's the cause and solution for all of life's problems. <laughs> and a humorous way I feel our smartphones and devices of this generation carry with them those similar traits the power to build and destroy think about this and go through phones and computers and devices remove alerts delete old emails unsubscribe from unwanted advertisements give it a just a good clean over and it takes time. For me, I had a couple hundred emails. I was chatting with a friend and she put her phone down and on the screen it had something like 1,200 emails. I thought, oh, 1,200? Are you shitting me? And I forget, people aren't like me. <laughs> Most people, partake in social media and subscribe to a lot of things and have alerts and just constant incoming stimuli that I have slowly decreased over time. Because I did have a Facebook and a MySpace and alerts and notifications and things like that add up fast, especially when they're neglected. So take time, sit down, dedicate perhaps an hour a day until satisfactory completion is felt. Go through devices and inboxes for one hour a day. Put the phone in airplane mode. <laughs> Minimize other stimuli and really give this task its due attention because these devices are a huge part of daily life. When they're optimized, I feel it's human, it's user is optimized as well. That is listener challenge number 16, clear alerts and notifications. For the 10 list humble perspective, number one, righteous anger. Defend a just position with proactive behavior. Number two, selfless behavior. Put other human welfare above one's own. Number three, get excited with someone. Joy is contagious. Enter another's pink zone. Number four, introspect cause of frustrations. Increase ability to accurately assess behavior. Number five, tune out mass media. Patterns of thought mirror environmental stimuli. Number six, sleep on it. Optimize sleep conditions. Deep sleep restores mind and body. Deep sleep restores mind and body. Number seven, hydrate. Drink water upon morning rise. Restore lost fluids daily. Number eight, ditch the past. 
Increase present moment awareness. Alter expectations. Number nine, tip well. Domino effect of gratitude towards others. Explore a domino effect of gratitude towards others. Small acts have a large impact. Number 10, identify with human struggle. Express compassion towards creatures on earth. All right, so that is the 10 list for humble perspective. Number one, righteous anger. Defend a just position with proactive behavior. This one is about (laughs) actions similar to that of our actions here at 3H2Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility. The action of investigating these streetlights. The streetlights affect humans and animals in ways I believe were not considered by the government officials and executives at Avista. I believe their focus was more on energy output and cost-related items as opposed to health, happiness, and a humble perspective. (laughs) I don't believe those items were considered. So that's an example of righteous anger. That word though, both of those words are a bit strange for me and perhaps that's why I selected them. I don't really believe in anger. And then to think of what is righteous. And then what do those two words mean together? Righteous anger. Defending a just position with proactive behavior. We shall explore this a bit more in the second segment, the 10 list, which was recorded back in February of last year. And that is number one, righteous anger. Number two, selfless behavior. Put other human welfare above one's own. I believe this one is perhaps one of the easier ones on this list to give conscious attention to and conscious action towards. Selfless behavior. Little things like holding a door open for someone. Leaving extra space in between vehicles when on the road. Sending well wishes to a friend or family member who's been out of touch. These are small acts of selfless behavior. Put other human welfare above one's own. And I've spoken to quite a few people about this one and over time, it feels normal and comfortable to have a deeper layer of compassion. It's, I believe it starts small, small acts, build up over time, and then they become something different. They become a character trait as opposed to some sort of habit. Selfless behavior. Number two. Number three, get excited with someone. Joy is contagious. Enter another's pink zone. Number three, this is a big one for me. Putting a humble perspective in action is getting excited with someone. Entering another's pink zone. For example, this last weekend... A friend and I went to each other's ping zones and we both had an awesome, adventurous day. The first part of the day was going to the third annual Veg Fest at the Spokane Community College. That was a lot of fun. I uh, enjoyed myself and I would attend next year. I would also like to know more of the interworkings of what it takes to put on a festival like that. Because that is something similar to what 
Masashi and I had been discussing for a future event. Some sort of gathering with music, food, vendors, speakers, information, doorways into other people's pink zones. And that's what I like about the festival format. As a consumer, I can go to one place and be exposed to multiple per, per, and be exposed to multiple perspectives. So that's what we did. We went to the Veg Fest. First off, listened to I believe his name is Greg O'Leary. He's a speaker and fitness coach and a vegan and all kinds of neat things. And that's my pink zone. <laughs> Going to a um, vegetarian, vegan festival of people who share many opinions as me, but not as my friend who eats meat and is not engaged in the self-help industry as I am. And (laughs) a way this works is whatever is asked, there's a general yes response. So I had asked, do you want to listen to a speaker? (laughs) He said, yes. (laughs) When deep inside, he didn't. There's 9,000 other things he would rather do than be at a veg fest with me listening to a speaker. But that's what I want to do. And we enjoy each other's company. And I believe that's a part of friendship, is entering another's pink zone sharing a joy with someone else that is a bit unexpected. After the Veg Fest, it was his turn to pick an activity and he selected pool, so playing billiards. I am not a fan of billiards. (laughs) And I said, yes, I would love to play billiards. Billiards sounds exciting, let's do it. So we went and played billiards. I was open to learning and truly engaging another pink zone. And a pink zone I thought I didn't enjoy and I had negative stigmas with. But many of those were lifted through guidance of someone with passion and present moment awareness. He taught me how to hold the cue, how to shoot, with better accuracy and precision, how to hold and position my hands, and it made a huge difference. And now I'm more open to playing pool because I suck less. (laughs) And it's more fun. And many of those negative stigmas and stereotypes and connotations I had have been removed. And a big part of it too was in the delivery of the instruction. I like mentors that are a bit rough on me. And uh, that's one of the things he said. He said, I'm not gonna be easy on you and I want you to learn or else I'm not gonna have fun playing with you. (laughs) And that's how I feel too. Games are meant to propose some sort of a ladder effect, a climbing effect where each time the game is played, there's some sort of improvement some sort of goal and positive direction to go into. And we're both on that same page. And it's okay to suck at first and to have negative thoughts and for it to be eh, not thought of as a great thing because those fade with time. Especially when 
There's enjoyment with a friend. That's number three. Get excited with someone. Joy is contagious. Enter another's pink zone. I imagine he learned things from the veg fest and I learned things from pool. And we had fun. It was a win-win all-around situation. I feel like there's a little sprinkle of magic when the pink zone is present. Number four, introspect cause of frustrations. Increase ability to accurately assess behavior. Introspection. This is a large part of a humble perspective. In my analysis of speakers, mentors, authors, all the errors, <laughs> a common variable has been an ability to introspect, similar to the point spoken about a moment ago, that admittance, hey, I suck, this is rough, but let's do this. That's a part of introspection. It's really looking inside, analyzing the continuum of positive and negative traits, and where do thoughts land today? Where will they likely land tomorrow? Where is there a desire for them to go? Just workshopping thoughts. This can be done in one's own head, on paper, reflection writing. Each person will have their own little nuances in terms of introspection. I feel this is similar to meditation and exercise. Many things in life are optimized on an individual basis. And I encourage people explore what forms of introspection fit well. A key component to successful introspection is putting blame on the self. This piece of advice is something a mentor taught me, boy, 15 or so years ago. It's been quite some time that this has been a part of my life. And that piece of advice has stuck with me. Regardless of the problem, it's my fault. <laughs> That's a funny way to look at life but it's beneficial, it's introspective. And on the last episode, season two, episode one, we talked about the crappery in the front yard. I could just blame other people and say, you know what, the people in my neighborhood or the people who walk by here are irresponsible pet owners, it's their fault. They need to do something about it. And then I would do nothing. And my life would become nothing. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very fun way to live. In contrast, there could be introspection. And that's what I did. I introspected and thought, okay, how can I solve this problem? And that's where active and reactive popped up and options came available. Once I opened that door to introspection, we do encourage folks to open the door to introspection if a humble perspective is desired. And that is number four, introspect cause of frustrations, increase ability to accurately assess behavior. Number five, tune out mass media, patterns of thought mirror environmental stimuli. Okay, tune out mass media. This is one that in many ways happened intuitively. I would say it was partly through conscious processing and partly through subconscious processing. 
where I wasn't really sure what I was doing, but I felt with gut instinct to just do it. One of those was I got rid of my TV and that was in the early 2000s, back when I was in San Jose. I was the only person I knew (laughs) without a TV. And that was around the time when streaming started. I was unfamiliar with streaming. Occasionally I would put a disc, a CD movie in my laptop and watch a movie. Did have access to movies and TV shows, but I no longer had cable and I didn't have streaming yet. And things happened. (laughs) It was weird. I spent most of my time either at work or at home. And neither one of those places had a TV. I went from constant exposure to TV to having it on frequently, falling asleep to TV, playing video games on TV, all the time TV to none. So I I quit cold turkey. And I went to a friend's house. And they had the TV on. And it was... Fox News or CNN, one of the the big news stations. And it was about Paris Hilton's DUI. (laughs) And this was my first exposure to TV in quite some time. And my friends tell me about how they watch the news all the time and they're so informed and all these things. I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be fun. And it's entertainment news. And I found this pattern back then in the early 2000s to now 10 years later the pattern has remained consistent i continue to tune out mass media and i continue to be shocked and amazed when i am exposed to it when i visit someone else's pink zone and their environment oh and there was one that was (laughs) it It blew my mind. And this one I'm pretty sure was Fox News. Talked about spring breakers and how much alcohol they're drinking and doing drugs and getting into trouble and oh no, it's there's sex and debauchery with the spring breakers, like breaking news. (laughs) There have been sex and debauchery with spring breakers since spring break began. And here is Fox News covering the spring breakers and the camera crews are out where the spring breakers are. So here are young college folks wanting to have fun and then here comes Fox News videotaping their spring break. And I view it similar as Girls Gone Wild. That's pretty much what Fox News has turned into. Sensationalized entertainment news. There were huge scientific and technological advancements going on at the time that Fox News focused on spring breakers. <laughs> are you shitting me? No hydron collider or new DNA evidence of the origins of humanity. No, spring breakers? That's, that's not news. So for me, at that moment... The bubble really bursted and more effort towards this radio show is a result of that. Because another one of our core beliefs at 3H2Humans is 
before complaining about some sort of a problem, offer a solution. And I felt as though before I could complain and have that righteous anger towards Fox News turning into Girls Gone Wild, I needed to offer a solution, some sort of remedy for this problem before I stand on my soapbox. And that's this radio show. I feel this is an alternative entertainment source to crappy ass modern mass media. (laughs) And there was a podcast I listened to a while back with a reporter who had worked at the New York Times or some fancy paper and he had described it as Halloween every day. And that's what it's like. Uh, In Futureland, there's an episode for 10 list newspaper kiosk. Part of one of my habits is to snap the headline of the newspaper. And the majority of times, it's something terrible. When I personally know of great, wonderful events and innovations of the area that could be on that headline, but instead it's terrorism in other countries and this horrible thing here and that horrible thing there, it's, that bubble has bursted. The generation coming up, the gig's up. It's kind of like a detached thumb magic trick. (laughs) We know the thumb is bent. It's still there. (laughs) And news which terrifies people into watching it is no longer viewed as exciting. It's just viewed as poor morals and ethics. So that is number five, tune out mass media patterns of thought mirror environmental stimuli. We want to create positive stimuli and then mirror that stimuli. Number six, sleep on it. Optimize sleep conditions. Deep sleep restores mind and body. When I lose sleep, I tend to be a bit cranky. It's difficult to function. I'm not as humble as I would like to be. It's difficult for me to focus on other people's needs and some of the items we've spoken about today if I'm exhausted. Notice for me, when I catch up on sleep and I'm sleeping well, I have pillows that are relatively new and comfortable and my room is clean, the area is dark, electronics are unplugged and out of the way, The Avista street light is changed. (laughs) These things create an optimized sleeping chamber for me. And I have to say that one of my favorite things is a comfortable deep sleep. It's extremely rewarding for me to be able to rest and sleep and feel as though I've earned it. I deserve it. The area is clean. I can clear my mind and just be. Explore sleeping conditions and ask, how can they be optimized? That's number six, sleep on it. Optimize sleep conditions. Deep sleep restores mind and body. Number seven, hydrate. Drink water upon morning rise. Restore lost fluids daily. Throughout my life, I've been pretty good about hydrating. I grew up with parents who encouraged hydrating and then my brother got into athletics and encouraged hydrating. And then as an adult, I had a roommate (laughs) 
once comment that she never drank more water than she did when she lived with me. <laughs> and her skin was better. She felt better and all these things. And it was her random comment which reminded me how I sometimes take drinking water for granted and hydration for granted. And that sometimes I slip up and I lack the type of hydration my body craves. This, similar to things in life, is an individual basis and time of year. I require a lot more water in the summer. When I jog in the heat, I sweat. And then that whole day, I'm just this little pool of sweat. <laughs> and I feel most comfortable when I replenish that lost water. And I feel at its core, that's a big part of being humble, is being comfortable. It's extremely difficult for me to be humble when I'm uncomfortable. And I believe hydration increases comfort. That's number seven, hydrate, drink water upon morning rise, restore lost fluids daily. Number eight, ditch the past, increase present moment awareness, alter expectations. Ditch the past. In order to be today, I needed to let go of yesterday. It's taken me years to refine a notion of ditching the past, of having amends with the past, being on good terms with all persons. But it wasn't thinking about the concepts of regret and being sorry. I applied some of these words to past experiences and I didn't want to live that way. New me doesn't live that way. So why would I look at old me that way? I don't want that in my life. Similar to a toxic friend, I believe there are toxic past versions of ourselves. And that's what I'm talking about with ditch the past. Let them go. Nope. <laughs> Mustachio points out recently on the Tony Robbins podcast, I believe, and I think it was Tony Robbins had said, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. <laughs> I... I laughed. I laughed out loud at that. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. I believe this. In the past, I had thought of negative components of my childhood because I viewed myself negatively. Now that I've evolved, I view my childhood as positive and I view myself as positive. They are the same. I do encourage folks in ditching the past, the core concept is to have past versions of the self mimic today's self. Let go of the nonsense and nurture joy, compassion, grace, these characteristics. That is number eight, ditch the past, increase present moment awareness, alter expectations. Number nine, tip well, domino effect of gratitude towards others. Small acts have a large impact. Tipping well. <laughs> I think this kind of goes along with uh, something I've heard many wealthy people say. Is that a person's attitude towards money when they're poor is the same as when they're rich. So if someone's poor and they're not going to tip very well, they're probably not going to tip very well when they're rich. 
because it has to do with some sort of a mindset change. And I've been looking into this because I have heard it in multiple ways. And I want to compare other theories to mine towards tipping. Tipping is a strange part of American culture. Not every culture tips. Also how tips are divided. I've been a dishwasher, a server, and bartender. I have been on both sides of tipping. I have tipped and I have been tipped. Sometimes extra $5 on top of a a dinner bill or a couple of drinks makes a big difference to that person and it will help their day move along a bit more. And it's not just because of the money, I believe, and I felt when I was in the service industry, it was more of the gesture. It was more of the person saying, hey, let's exchange resources. And think of that. Next time there's an outing where tipping is a part of the meta, how do these resources match up? So for instance, two cheeseburgers for like $4, to me that's not a balance of money and resources. Two cheeseburgers, I believe, if done in a healthy manner, cost more than $4 to make. (laughs) So that's a deal I would not want to be a part of. But in contrast, one $5 martini and a heartfelt chat could be worth $20. That was uh, (laughs) one of the neat things about bartending in Pullman, Washington. It's a college town and many people who came to the restaurant were staying at the hotel nearby. I worked at the Hilltop. Many of the parents wanted to know about the city. What was it like? What was there to do? I was a transplant who moved there by myself to go to college and to start over, but I was about 10 years older than the average age. And I think the parents And guardians felt a bit more comfortable after talking to me, meeting someone who was on a similar path as their child and is doing okay, is pretty happy, found a job, enjoys the university. I went on the trails, explained some of the events. Think of this. What goes along with a service? What is the bartering value? What is given and what is received? Tip well. Domino effect of gratitude towards others. Small acts have a large impact. And with that small act, I believe that was felt on both of our parts. Where my small act of taking the time to explain the city and my experiences and their small act of tipping well. And it was a win-win. And I believe there are many win-wins that that are unidentified in modern culture. So identify those wins and tip well. (laughs) Number 10, identify human struggle. Express compassion towards creatures on earth. So identify human struggle. I believe Russell Brand said it best. There's a video of him on YouTube where he talks about the human experience, how it feels to be kind to others. The video, consists of a bunch of clips of him speaking. And it was featured in our most popular episode, episode number six, Enjoyable Mentor. 
the details for Russell Brand and some other things are in that episode. So do check it out. And that episode in general, I feel is great for identifying the human struggle. I do believe this means from little bugs and critters all the way up to ocean mammals, the big and the small, each creature, each piece of organic life. So when I say organic life, I mean a living object. Like a table, a wood table, used to be organic life, but now it has been changed into something else. Identify similarities with organic life. That little bug who's scuttling around, the neighbor walking by, the bird flying in the sky. As opposed to thinking of differences, focus on similarities and ways to help each other and to grow, to nurture a positive bond on our planet. We humans depend on the earth for survival, but it does not depend on us. And many animals, we depend on them, and yet they do not depend on us. Analyze these relationships. How do we humans fit in to a modern food chain? What does that look like? And what will it look like in the future? That is number 10, identify human struggle, express compassion towards creatures on earth. That is the 10 list for humble perspective. Number one, righteous anger. Number two, selfless behavior. Number three, get excited with someone. Number four, introspect cause of frustrations. Number five, tune out mass media. Number six, sleep on it. Number seven, hydrate. Number eight, ditch the past. Number nine, tip well. And number 10, identify human struggle. These are ideas for a humble perspective. I am curious of other people's 10 lists. There's anyone out there who would like to share their 10 list of humble perspective, send it on down. Jump on to the website, 3h2humans.org. Next up, a five list. Next up, we will go over two five lists. One is for lessons from Washington State University professors. And the other one is for thought seed leaders. These are people who I believe have baskets full of beautiful seeds for the mind. (laughs) Mind seeds. For the Washington State University professors' lessons learned, some designated me as a professional student. (laughs) I began my college career in academics in 1999 at West Valley Junior College in Saratoga, California. A notable alumni from West Valley Junior College is Mike Homek. He played basketball professionally across the world and also became a stunt double for Gandalf in the Hobbit movies. (laughs) He is an example of someone who moves along with the times. From those beginnings in 1999, Saratoga, California, graduation happened 
in Pullman, Washington, through Washington State University in the summer of 2013. I was in college for quite some time. <laughs> and it was a mix of day classes, night school, online, interdisciplinary, lecture, lab. At the time, it was a bit frustrating to be in school for so long, but in hindsight, I was able to grasp a bigger picture of the academic system and many modalities of teaching. If I'd gone the standard four years in college route, as opposed to 14 years, <laughs> I would not have learned as much. Keep things new and fresh and here in Washington, as opposed to going through the professors of the entire academic career, I decided to pick the ones which were most notable towards the end of my academic career. I do believe the majority of these folks are still associated with Washington State University. I encourage people to look into the careers of these folks, the academic papers, textbooks, and other creative endeavors. I do believe they are worth a look. All right, number one, Alexander Spradlin for psychology. The lessons I learned were benefits of simplified instruction. He taught in a simplified way. There were some shortcuts and tricks, which he taught the class. Advantages I was unaware of prior to taking, I believe it was Statistics 312, the second part of psychology statistics. Number two, behind the scenes of academic psychology nuances. He spoke openly about how the grad program works, some of the reasons why tests are multiple choice. I was able to discuss interworkings of the academic system with an instructor who offered me pink zone attention, ingested my perspective, and gave me feedback based on it. It was extremely helpful. The third, when to fight and when to flee in terms of social justice. When I was a student of Alex's, I was also experiencing the height <laughs> of my academic frustration. And we will go over that with number three, Samantha Swindell, who is one of the leading professors in the psychology department. He taught me when to fight and when to flee. And the fight that I was fighting at the time, I wasn't going to win. At the time, I thought I was. And I was willing to push forward. And it was after speaking with him, I recognized my plan and my approach was short-term. I wanted to be successful and I wanted to change the academic system. I need to take a long-term approach. And that's what I'm doing now. That's what this is. It's been about three years since I've graduated and I'm continuing on this path. So the battle that I lost back in 2013 was a little blip on the radar of my life. I continue to fight academic battles and I will continue to fight academic battles 
and I'm stronger now because I gave up back then. And sometimes it's okay to give up. Sometimes uh, strategies need to be reworked. He taught me that and it was advice I needed to hear. (laughs) Number one, Alexander Spradlin in the field of psychology. I do recommend him as an instructor. Number two, Faith Lutz in criminal justice. It was in Faith's class that I was introduced to Saving Bernice. And that is number one, Introduction to Saving Bernice. The class was about women in criminal justice and had a feminist twist to it. At first, I was a bit apprehensive. I had never taken a women's studies course. Through Faith's compassionate instruction, I opened up and became a sponge. I wanted to learn in a class that I wasn't real excited about to begin with. And we have talked about Saving Bernice on the show. It's a book about a woman and women in general who experience complications in life. And it's a story from their perspective. I feel like this is one of the strongest teaching tools. A first person perspective of some sort of event. This is what I've learned after 14 years in college. I wasn't gonna learn shit in college. (laughs) And not, not from multiple choice questions and memorization of stuff from long ago. It's about real life based curriculum, stories of real life. I've learned the majority of my knowledge from adventuring and from having an open perspective and engaging with uncomfortable information. That's probably the best way to put that. Many of the professors and instructors I'm speaking about today offered that gift, compassionate instruction towards uncomfortable subjects. Number two, humble approach to education. (laughs) As we're talking, it's the teaching style, I feel, often has more influence than the curriculum. Okay, so Mustachio says to clarify that. What I mean is I could have a wonderful subject that I'm really into, but a unmotivated teacher or a not so great subject and an extremely motivated teacher, I'm more likely to learn in the second scenario with the person who's excited about it rather than me being excited about the content. And I believe that begins with a humble approach to education, to recognizing each person is unique. Number three, conscious attention towards a difference between girls and women. Faith was the first to plant the thought seed of using a difference between girls and women. And that perhaps that's one of the contributing factors to a murky area between when is it okay to sexualize a woman? Because that's a question I had been asking for years. When is it okay to sexualize a woman? When and where and how and why and how does all that work? A solution in part is to distinguish the difference between girls and women. Girls are prior to sexual maturity and women are after sexual maturity. This is a essential step towards 
a healthy sexualization of women. That's number two, Faith Lutz with the Criminal Justice Department at Washington State University. I do recommend her as a professor. The content of the class is interesting. She's extremely personable. Many lessons can be learned under her wing. Number three, Samantha Swindell in the psychology department. Number one, benefit to double check perceived truths for evidence of validity. So this one, (laughs) this is the professor I didn't quite see eye to eye with, but I learned a lot from. And as we were talking earlier with the 10 list humble perspective, the introspecting and blaming myself and all that stuff, that's where this comes in. This is a practical application of that. Even though she was perhaps my least favorite instructor and the person I was in the yellow zone the most with, I learned a great deal. And that's what going to school is about, what getting an education is for, to learn and to grow. So Samantha Swindell did help me learn and grow. So with the double-checking perceived truths for evidence of validity, when I had questioned why the curriculum was the way it was, she had said that I didn't have a right to question her curriculum because I was never her student. (laughs) And I was her student. All she needed to do was to check my transcript or to ask me because it's right on there. And it was in that moment that this powerful woman, the lead professor in the psychology department, the field of study I love so much and have been climbing my way through, doesn't even double check information and just pushed me aside. It, it blew my mind and it reminded me of priority. I wasn't a priority. It doesn't, it's not good or bad or right or wrong. Whatever else was going on in her life, her reaching the pink zone with me, a student about to graduate wondering why I learned what I learned, was not a priority. So, yeah. (laughs) Number two, the Washington State University psychology curriculum lacks encouragement of critical thought. My initial proposition, my hypothesis, the big question I had, does the Washington State University psychology curriculum include critical thought? Is it full of critical thinking or memorization? My conclusion is memorization of 1970s rat studies. It's (sighs) people who watch the movie Inside Out probably have a more accurate understanding of human behavior than graduates of the Washington State University psychology degree. (laughs) It's frustrating. I just, I, I want to understand. And I felt as though I approached Samantha with an open heart. And for whatever reason, it didn't turn out how I anticipated. So many of these questions remain. I do have email analyzation recordings of my experiences back then. We'll dissect this more in the future. And number three, destroyed faith in Washington State University's academic system. I'm a huge proponent that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And if a 
academic leader is unable to answer simple questions, then there's something bigger going on. And especially at the expense, how much money is being paid for this education. I'm essentially a customer. I'm paying for a service, for education. And to be told that my opinion is invalid, that it doesn't matter, ugh. My faith in the university system as a whole was changed. And then number three, Samantha Swindell in the psychology department. I would personally not recommend taking a class with her. I took motivation and I thought it was going to be a class about why humans do what they do. And it was essentially a biology class about feedback loops and why rats get thirsty and biological hormones that get released when people are hungry and it's a biology class and I thought it would be psychology which is philosophy and physics teach me philosophy and physics of motivation not biology I'm, I'm not a med student <sighs> it was frustrating <laughs> so I would recommend cruising around perhaps for another professor um, yeah Number four, Brandon Bang in the criminal justice department. Number one, passionate, blunt, genuine approach to education. He was one of the first instructors that really displayed present moment awareness and compassion towards the class. He was able to provide mentortainment. He was entertaining while he was mentoring. The assignments were applicable to life. There was critical thinking. And perhaps that's what I associate with passionate, blunt, genuine approach to education is critical thinking. Because those things are involved in critical thinking, not memorization. Number two, life applicable and thought-provoking assignments. There was one I remember in particular where we analyzed a certain type of criminal justice because there's different modes of thought. As a class, identified pros and cons with different ideas of thought. To me, that's critical thinking. That's an education. Number three, lectures promote critical thought and entertain. Wow, these are all just, I know, massage. I was like, whoa. <laughs> They're like interwoven like a web. These great qualities and just that feeling I get when I think of attending his classes. It was like a little break into a place of thought where I could zone in to thinking rather than zone out. Very neat. That's Brandon Bang with the Criminal Justice Department. I feel he is intelligent and charismatic, thought-provoking, and just a well-rounded, enjoyable, genuine person. Number five, David Macon. He is also in the criminal justice department. Number one, awareness towards positive and negative effects of gentrification. It was in his class where I really became aware of gentrification. I knew about it. I knew what it was. I'd seen it, but I didn't see it. It's strange. He revealed deeper layers of positive and negative benefits that yes old buildings need something do they need to be torn down and restored and what types of food resources need to be in an area 
there's so many factors to gentrification that I hadn't even thought of before. And he planted seeds with gentrification. And that was back in 2003. And it's been three years. (laughs) And I've moved about three times. And I've lived in three different neighborhoods with three different stages of gentrification. The three neighborhoods are West Central, which is currently going through gentrification. The house I lived in was built in the 1920s or so. And as I lived there, a brand new condo complex went up across the street. So that's current gentrification. Then I moved to the Hilliard neighborhood, which is North Spokane, and that is pre-gentrification. Very few houses have been gentrified. It's just about where many of the original owners are aging out of the neighborhood. And then where I am currently in the South Perry, I would consider this established gentrification where the majority of houses are fixed up. There's very few, there's very few abandoned houses, well manicured lawns, a vista, street lights. <laughs> this is gentrification. And had I not taken a class with David Macon at Washington State University, maybe I wouldn't have noticed the stages of gentrification or have even been open to living in different neighborhoods. I don't know, but I'm grateful that those seeds were planted back then because now they've fruited. There is a bounty. Number two, to understand both sides of an argument before a conclusion is reached. Part of David's curriculum included positives and negatives. So then the student decided what was right and wrong and good and bad. I like that. Where in order to fully have an informed decision, both sides need to be listened to. And there were some arguments where I was on one side when I started the class and I moved to the other side when I left due to gaining information and then applying that. So ingest, reflect, and modify. I feel critical thinking is promoted during his classes. Number three, restored faith in Washington State University's academic system. I was in one of the worst psychology classes I had ever been in in my life. It was behavior analysis and learning because similar to the motivation class, I felt it was based off of biology and rat studies from the 70s, just irrelevant propaganda crap. And it was mentally difficult for me to suck it up and do as I was told and get a degree. But having David Macon's class presented an experience at the other end of the continuum. So the psychology class was worse than the worst class I could have imagined. (laughs) And this class 
was more positive and growing than any class I had imagined. And another thing he did that I experienced for the first time were office hours and little group sessions. Before an exam, he would tell people they could just drop in with questions or turn in extra credit assignments or do things like that. He allowed the learning to be interactive and for students who wanted that extra help, there was an availability. I think that was a key part of why I learned so much because of the class discussions. The class discussions outside of the class in the office. Because I do work best with around six people. 120 people in an auditorium, it's difficult for me to wanna ask questions and engage. So I do appreciate it when instructors offer a more precise environment. And it was taking that class that restored faith in Washington State University in many different ways. Rather than seeing the decline of the academic system, I was able to see little holes of light, little ways that people before me, past innovators, have helped the system and that there is hope. So hope and faith was restored. All right, these are the WSU professors and instructors lessons learned. Number one, Alexander Spradlin for psychology. Number two, Faith Lutz, criminal justice. Number three, Samantha Swindell, psychology. Number four, Brandon Bang, criminal justice. And number five, David Macon with criminal justice. And now we have a five list for thought seed leaders. This list of people is one that's been brewing for a while. I was introduced to the career of most of these folks a couple years ago. So I've had a few years to ingest, reflect, and modify their careers and others. And these five rose to the top. Number one, Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit from 2012. Number two, Charlie Hohen, Play It Away, 2014. Number three, Sarah Gottfried, The Hormone Cure, 2013. Number four, Simon Singh, The Simpsons Mathematical Secrets, 2013. Number five, Dan John, Never Let Go, 2009. Thought Seed Leader Format, we have the information on the author, the book, the year, and a podcast episode where the author can be heard in audio format. And then three areas that the person is doing well. So we'll start with Charles Duhigg. Check him out on the podcast Getting Things Done, or GTD, with David Allen. He is on episode number five, Daily Habits with Charles Duhigg. And that first aired on July 17th of 2015. Three well dones. Number one, Charles's approach to education is similar when compared to 3H2 humans. Number two, small changes today will greatly impact tomorrow. And number three, critical thought insight into real world examples. So what really stuck out 
for me with Charles Duhigg is the direction of the information he teaches. It's similar to 3H2 in terms of health, happiness, and a humble perspective. What companies fail? Which ones succeed? Why? How to optimize life in a modern world? I do like how he gives those real-world examples rather than theories in a textbook and that kind of direction of learning. He says, hey, here's an example of a company. This is what they do. This is why it worked. This is why this other thing didn't work. There's an analysis which takes place. And I believe it's an analysis of compassion. That is Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit, 2012. Number two, Charlie Hohen, Play It Away, 2014. Check him out on the Psychology Podcast with Scott Barry Kaufman. Original air date, May 31st, 2016. Reducing Anxiety Through Play with Charlie Hohen. For Well Done, Charlie relays benefits associated with adventure meetings. Number two, complicated moments of success are revealed. Number three, discusses animalistic needs of humans such as play. What I enjoy about Charlie is a couple years ago, he was one of the first people I heard speak about the downsides of success, the complications which go along with being a top performer. The lack of glamor, the hard work and struggles that go behind creating a book. And it was just the synchronistic component that he worked for Tim Ferriss. (laughs) And I think it was after listening to Charlie Hohen that I first listened to Tim Ferriss. So it was a reverse instead of Tim Ferriss's popularity alerting me to Charlie Hohen. It was Charlie Hohen's popularity that alerted me to Tim Ferriss. Spooky. <laughs> he had said how grueling it was to work for Tim Ferriss. And I imagine it's grueling working for me. He explains ways to figure out if it's reasonable anxiety or fictitious anxiety. And those are two other core components I believe he focuses on. Environmental anxiety and fictitious reality and fictitious anxiety. Which ones can be changed with environmental stimuli and which ones can be changed with thought. And I do like how he talks about play going outside, throwing around a frisbee. I talk about playing catch and adventure meetings. The benefits which go along with play. I think both of us see eye to eye with that. That rather than something lucky people get to do, it's something that creates luck. If a person has time to do anything, then they have time to play. So check out Charlie Hohen, Play It Away 2014. Number three, Sarah Gottfried, The Hormone Cure, 2013. She is also 
on the health bridge with Pedram Shojai. This specific episode, starting the 100-day gong, The Way In with Sarah Gottfried, aired August 11th, 2014. Sarah was a co-host on the health bridge back then. And I listened to this episode around the time that it aired. Currently, Sarah is no longer on the show. Do encourage folks to listen to some of the older episodes of the Health Bridge. I believe uh, she was a interesting and tantalizing co-host. For well done. Sarah relays medical advice the average person can ingest. Number two, a genuine, gritty, tenacious personality shines through her work. Number three, leads by example, the 100 Day Gong podcast. And Sarah Gottfried was one of the first human doctors. (laughs) And when I say doctor, I mean real doctor, a uh, medical uh, doctor, not a doctor in classic art. And I liked her down-to-earth approach. Medical advice the average person can ingest. That was a big part. She would give practical, usable advice. And through a free podcast. I thought that was extremely genuine. Someone can talk about how much they want to help people and save the world, but it makes a difference when people do it, when they become proactive. I also like how she talks about hormones. That's a huge part of the human body. Because I have a bachelor's of science in psychology, I nearly have a medical degree. (laughs) And hormones play a role in energy, Motivation, willpower, learning, happiness. Nearly each part of the human experience is affected in one way or another through hormones. I am grateful of the research Sarah Gottfried has done. I do have one suggestion for improvement. For me, her book is a bit big it's huge and it has so much information but i i don't know very many people are going to have the time or mental capacity to read it and to really absorb her message because i'm one of them i want to absorb her message but i'm having complications i would recommend sarah develop some sort of an app or online program some sort of thing where I can put in that I have excess weight lack of energy perhaps achy joints menstrual cramps all kinds of things and then put it into her specific database and then get some sort of result out of it so I believe that's what this book is It's a resource, but it's a bit cumbersome. And (laughs) this has been on my bookshelf, bookmarked for quite some time. 
So I do want to point this out as well. For those who have the book, The Hormone Cure, on page 177, it talks about excess estrogen and having an estrogen imbalance. It's about half a page of text and it has 17 mentions of the word you. I am researching estrogen. I believe I have high estrogen production and ingestion because I believe it's a matter of environmental factors and what I'm eating. So I need to decrease the estrogen in my food and decrease the activities and environmental factors which increase my estrogen. So here is an excerpt from the book and count along with me. (laughs) When you have your estrogen in the sweet spot, you feel feminine and content. Your moods are steadier, your face is clear, and your body feels well rested. With lubrication and sufficient blood flow to the genitals for youthful arousal, You respond sexually, and your orgasms feel as robust as when you started enjoying them regularly. Your breasts feel normal in size, neither too big, excess estrogen, nor droopy and pancake-like, low estrogen. If you're cycling, you maneuver through your menstrual cycle noticing ovulation, but not burdened by ovarian or breast cysts or painful heavy periods. If you have fibroids or endometriosis, you enter remission. Your symptoms resolve. Your fibroids and endometrius start shrinking. I believe there's fantastic information on this page, but with all the use, it's confusing. And especially for other people besides females. If a husband or man companion or male family member wants to help someone with estrogen, then essentially this book isn't applicable to them because it's all about you. (laughs) So your moods are steadier, your face is clear, and it could easily be rewarded. Just say moods are steadier, face is clearer, body feels rested. And then if you have fibroids or endometriosis, you enter remission. It can be restated as with fibroids and endometriosis, remission is entered. There's an infinite amount of other ways to reword sentences with you. So I am excited for the future. I do hope Sarah Gonfried creates a app or some sort of easy resource where I can type in high estrogen, what can I do? And then it just pops up things instead of a, uh, a book format. But I do believe Sarah Gottfried has fantastic information and is a thought seed leader. So that's number three, Sarah Gottfried, The Hormone Cure. Number four, Simon Singh, The Simpsons Mathematical Secrets from 2013. And he was on the podcast Inquiring Minds with Indre Viscontas and Kishore Hari. 
That was aired on November 21st of 2013. And it's episode number 10, Simon Singh, How the Simpsons Have Secretly Been Teaching You Math. For well done, number one, Simon's dedication towards his life passion is felt. Number two, this book combines complex mathematical equations with pop culture. Number three, layout of this book offers critical thought exercises through exams. So Simon Singh, I heard him on Inquiring Minds a couple years ago. I imagine around the time that this podcast aired and I pre-ordered his book. It was before it came out. I think it came out around Halloween. I do encourage folks to check out this episode. He explains examples from The Simpsons and what the mathematical equations mean. And it's put into a simplified speech. I like how he combines complex mathematical logic and theories with pop culture. I learn best this way. That's one of the reasons why I talk about movies and TV shows and I believe a lot can be learned from pop culture because many of the writers are incredibly intelligent people who have figured out a way to live their passion. So the folks on The Simpsons Many of them were mathematicians by trade who joined the show. That's a pretty cool job for a mathematician to be on an animated TV show. So there's some sort of secret sauce in there. One of the highlights of his book, and I encourage people who want to write a book to pick this book up as an example. It's The Simpsons and Their Mathematical Secrets. He has ideas linked to the Simpsons and pictures, detailed explanations, as well as exams to see if a person grasps a concept and they're worded in such a way where it's abstract enough that a basic level understanding of the theory proposed needs to be understood before the joke is laughed at. For example, one of them was something to the effect of um, it's crazy to see a scientist on Halloween or Christmas because they constantly mix them up. (laughs) So then there's some sort of link between Halloween and Christmas that was explained. And if the theory was understood, then the joke would be got. It's pretty neat. Uh, A lot of thought and passion went into this book and I strongly recommend it for all types of backgrounds whether interested in mathematics or Simpsons or neither or both check it out (laughs) that is Simon Singh the Simpsons mathematical secrets from 2013 number five is Dan John never let go 2009 check him out on the podcast Ardella training with Scott Ardella, and that original air date was November 18th, 2015. The episode is RT147, Dan John, Before We Go, Training Tips, and How to Become a Great Writer. Or Never Let Go, 
by Dan John. Well done. Number one, Dan offers practical, down-to-earth advice for everyday people. Number two, this book is a well-rounded life manual for people who desire warrior status. And number three, Dan's approach to health is similar when compared to that of 3H2 humans. Dan John has been on my radar for quite some time as well. Many people in the strength training and fitness industry have spoken about Dan John. And it was so much so where I needed to look into him myself. Uh, Some of the folks who spoke about him were Pavel Tatsulin, Kelly Starlett, Tim Ferriss, and a couple others. What I like about Never Let Go, I view it as kind of a coming of age manual for people who want to be a warrior. He gives practical life advice with fitness advice. And I feel like the two complement each other. The most successful people in weight loss and strength training and all that stuff had their head cleaned up. (laughs) We're able to engage in the present moment and give those workouts and life activities full attention. In Never Let Go, Dan John explains supplements, workout routines, workout equipment, stories, all kinds of stuff. And it's from an extremely genuine perspective. I gifted this book to my man companion. <laughs> and he read it. I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't sure if he was going to. And he did. And it seemed some of his workout habits had changed after that point and had become more optimized, enjoyable. Do encourage this book for people who want to recalibrate their lives and become a warrior. I think checking out the work of Dan John is a great place to start. All right, so those are the thought seed leaders. These are the people I believe are saplings. One day they shall become giant, mighty oaks. But for now, I believe they're in the beginning stages. And I think these folks are worth keeping an eye on. Keep, keep an eye out for what uh, new innovations come to be. And this is for all 10 of the folks we talked about today. The professors and instructors from Washington State University and these folks who are, number one, Charles Duhigg. Number two, Charlie Hohen. Number three, Sarah Gottfried. Number four, Simon Singh. And number five, Dan John. Check these folks out. And next we have the announcements. The original record date for the 10 list was February 27th, 2015. That is coming up in the next segment where I will go over the 10 list humble perspective in its original form. Amazon Prime is helpful in gift giving I recently discovered Amazon Prime within my family where we send each other products that we enjoy. I received a package from Amazon and it was Purity Face Wash. And that's the face wash I use. And I was a bit surprised that I hadn't ordered any, but I was running low. I 
looked inside and there was a gift note and it was from my mom. <laughs> she had sent me some of the Purity face wash and on the note it had said, this face wash is great. I just use a little dab and it really cleans my face before bed. I hope you like it. <laughs> and what's funny is I had sent her some. I had recommended it. But just with time and life, there was confusion and she had forgot that I was the one that sent it to her. But she enjoyed it so much that she sent it to me. <laughs> Little neat synchronistic events have happened like that with ordering on Amazon Prime and sharing gifts with other people like the face wash. Found in the past, if there was a product I thought someone would really enjoy, I would plan to buy it in a store and then I would forget and life would get in the way. And now it's one touch ordering. So it's pretty, uh, pretty neat. Increases the gift giving. I'm about gift giving with purpose rather than obligation. So I give gifts if I think something will benefit someone rather than because it's their birthday or Christmas or some holiday where I'm supposed to give gifts. Amazon Prime for gifts, check it out. Contact the local utilities and state government to discuss high temperature streetlights. I spoke with some more folks about this at the Perry Street Street Fair. And there's one man in particular, it was an older gentleman who was involved in politics and we were discussing many things and the streetlights came up. And I said, what do you think about these streetlights? And he said, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of research, but I think they're bad. <laughs> it is to my understanding, any human with basic present level awareness can recognize that the new high color temperature LED streetlights Avista is putting in in Washington state is unhealthy. There are many things of this nature and it's time for us as citizens to stand up and have our voices be heard. What are the 3H2 Mystery Fortune art posters? These are available on the website. They are on sale for $32. This is for purchasing two posters and then one is free, so a total of three. It comes with frame backing and in a padded envelope. So far, this delivery method has worked out well. The packages arrive in pristine condition and the person can use the backing in the frame. I do recommend framing too to keep and to give one away. Spread the thought seeds, the mystery, fortune, adventureness of this item. In each series, there are nine posters and they're double-sided. One side is a collage of a photo I took with a trinket and then some saying, some word, a, a thought, a phrase. And then on the back is some sort of fortune, a thought seed, a potential direction to go in. And it's handwritten and... <laughs> Some of them are very primitive and uh, it's uh, back from 2012 was when this project started and it has evolved into drawings with colored pencils and the art on the back 
is as beautiful as the art on the front, but that's not how it started. So this is the beginning. And the series is called Message of the Mind. So this is Message of the Mind, series one. There are nine posters and they're sold in bundles of three. The bundles of three are random. I'll have a set and then I'll grab one, two, three posters, put them in the envelope, put the cardboard backing in, seal it up, put the 3H2 address, then set it aside. And then I'll do this. So I'll create a bunch of packets. And then when it's time to send them out, I just do them in order. So I don't know which ones are in the envelopes. And I don't know which ones are being sent out. That's a part of the quantum physics that's in this. The randomization, the infinite possibility of this. Whereas other posters are purchased and it's known what the item is and it's pretty black and white. This is not. <laughs> the front is its own little pink zone of understanding and the back is its own little pink zone of understanding. And I do believe these posters offer critical thinking. I strongly believe in this product as a positive motivator, as a nurturer for strong neuronal connections, and it could be a thought exercise, alone or with somebody. Due to the mystery nature, the basics of the posters are kept on the low, in the, in the back room. <laughs> so on the website, in the 3H2 store, occasionally the picture will change, but there is minimal information on what the posters contain, and that is done with intention. Over time, we will discuss some of the posters, some of the meanings and things that are going on in the pink zone with each item. Message of the Mind Series 2 has been printed. Series 1 is going pretty quick. <laughs> Faster than I had imagined, but not quite in the ways I had imagined. It's uh, been interesting. And we will likely do a reprint of the first series. One of the printing runs was done on thinner paper than I would like. I like thicker, kind of cardboardy type paper. We are giving away, uh, I think we have about, how many mustachio? 10 or 15 more sets of the thinner paper. So it's not quite the thick paper that I use on the other runs that we have done. But hey, if it's free, it's okay. <laughs> so there is a limited supply of these. Email me from now. What is today? July 25th. Okay, so from July 25th to August 15th, between this window. I think they'll probably be gone by then. So that's a pretty safe window. Send me an email and I will send out a free sample of the mystery posters. And I would enjoy some feedback. This is the beginning stages of this project going public. We have received some great feedback and we will go over information from the posters occasionally on the show. We're gonna do that today. So we're gonna give an example of the type of feedback that we're hoping for 
in terms of the mystery posters. So this poster is called Judgment. And the saying on the poster is, Judgment of others is in vain until perfection is achieved. And the comment, pro, so this is a benefit of it. The background design is cool, the top hats. And this is one of my favorite designs as well. It does flow, it's less crazy. It's kind of strange in its simplicity. My response, I agree. The many parts of this collage work well together. The specific design was inspired by Brian. The picture of his truck with a cement baby deer in the back. On top of the deer is Admiral Thumpington, one of my favorite trinkets. I hope to capture Brian's essence of small town sophistication. <laughs> and for the cons, so the areas of improvement, achieved is spelled wrong, should be achieved. This message sounds a bit strange. I think I get what you're saying, that no one is allowed to judge others, as no single person is perfect enough to judge others for their imperfections. But the way that it is read, it sounds like you're saying, once you're perfect, feel free to judge the heck out of people. Just go to town, judge all the people you want, it's cool. Almost like a perk of being perfect means that you've earned the privilege of judging others. But clearly, what the world needs is less judgment, not more. Which again, is what I think you're trying to say. But it doesn't come off completely right. My response? I agree. Achieved is spelled incorrectly two ways. First, the I and the E are switched because I suck at spelling. The second is the two V's in the word. This is due to the tools I use and my desire to remain authentic. While using the dino label gun, I likely forgot I had punched the V, so I punched it again. Once the label was cut from the gun, I liked the irony and kept the less than perfect design. I have a different perspective towards this statement. I believe perfection to be a false construct. Essentially, perfection does not exist. To designate a person or thing as perfect is to relay a cognitive fallacy. To view this from my perspective, imagine the above statement with the word perfect switched with magical dragon. Judgment of others is in vain until magical dragon status is achieved. In my eyes, the probability of achieving perfection and becoming a magical dragon are the same. So that is a feedback circle feedback from a person and then me offering my insights on that feedback towards the poster judgment. That's an example of what the posters are about. There's some statement, some pictures, a little bit of nonsense, and then more nonsense and craziness on the back. <laughs> and it's random, random stimuli that will encourage fresh new neuronal connections. It's like a push-up workout for the brain because it is an unknown. There is a need for present moment awareness to read the posters, to understand what's on them because it's a big question mark right now. If I were ordering a poster of a waterfall that I liked online, I would have that expectation. I'm receiving a poster of a waterfall. I see the waterfall. I hang it up, but this is different. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is random. <laughs> Check them out online, the Mystery Fortune Art Posters. Sign up for a mastermind group in appointments. Give and receive constructive feedback. We're going to start creating mastermind groups. I was motivated to pull the trigger on this when I heard today a podcast on the corporate yogi about masterminding, the different types of masterminds, how important they are. She had talked about how they were a benefit in her life and in her client's life. And it was that just kicking the ass I needed to do something, to act. Anyone interested in masterminding or suggestions, anything on that topic, shoot me an email. We are in the early stages of developing these. I have been to Startup Weekend here in Spokane, some founder, co-founder meetups and things like that. I haven't clicked with anyone. I want to create an environment where there's more people like me. (laughs) So, uh, depending on a person's perspective, this could be a good or a bad thing. (laughs) And we all know about good and bad. (laughs) If neural connections, randomness, excitement, adventure, analyzation of paradigms if any of these things sound interesting let me know and that is mastermind groups we are starting to organize them now thinking of having a couple of dates uh, because it's pretty cool on the scheduling program i can limit it so i can limit it to six people then the first six people who sign up for each date will be that group that's kind of what i'm thinking now I haven't initiated it yet, so who knows? Now is the time to start it. That's what the overwhelming sense is from the universe. And the local artist spotlight is for Luenia Photography. I've had a few people comment on the photo shoot done with Luenia Photography. It's available online and pops up for me and several other people when 3H2Humans is searched. It's pretty cool. I like his business setup. I talked to about a dozen different photographers before I made a selection. And I had a few specific parameters. I wanted to shoot at certain locations and I wanted multiple photos. Those were my parameters. And many people would say, no, I'll give you two headshots that are airbrushed and all this stuff for your business portfolio and that's not what I wanted. I wanted real pictures of me doing things and in the places that I do them at. I wanted a genuine representation of who I am and what I do and I believe that was captured and as I've uh, (laughs) I've spoken in the past about complications with business people I did enjoy working with Luenia Photography If I have future photography needs, I will contact them again. And do recommend Luenia Photography for folks here in the Spokane and Coeur d'Alene area for business. And he does graduation, senior pictures, weddings, all kinds of stuff. 
great photographer. He's skilled. He also explained the equipment to me and treated me as though I had basic intelligence. I like that. Instead of thinking, oh, this person doesn't care. When I asked, whoa, how does this light work? He explained the mechanics of it and the functions. And that kind of calmed me down. (laughs) I was a bit nervous. It was my first photo shoot and it went really well. So I'm pleased with the results. And coming from me, that is quite a compliment. (laughs) So that is this episode's featured artist, Luenya Photography. All right, that wraps it up for today. Mustachio and I would like to wish everyone health, happiness, and a humble perspective. Diligence today equals a thriving community tomorrow. Enjoy. Today is February 27th, 2015, here in sunny Spokane, Washington. The birds are back. I fed them this morning, and it's kind of neat. When the birds left, it was, for the most part, (laughs) the birds were the small, common brown finch. And there were a few blue and gray colored finches similar to those seen in a pet store, a little bit fancier. And there's a bunch of the fancy ones and uh, some of the, the other ones. And I do wonder if they're the same. I have yet to look into the migratory patterns of the uh, brown finch, but I do speculate that some of them are the same birds as before. Yeah. <laughs> need to have them back, a sign that spring is coming, that soon, instead of the heater being on, I will have all of the windows and doors open and all that fresh air coming in, and sunshine. Oh, (sighs) wow, mustachio, hibernating, what a thing, huh? (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so this morning, mustachio and I had a powwow. Oftentimes, we like to get together and discuss the things that we're doing well and then things that we can improve on. So we do like to tackle both categories. And I think it's important to examine both sides. Uh, Sometimes I get too caught up in congratulatory behavior and um, sometimes the opposite. I'm too hard on myself. It's nice to have some sort of a format to offer balance. So we're seeking balance, that Goldilocks zone. And uh, the conclusion for today that we would like to rectify is here at the 3H2 Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility, we focus a bit uh, primarily on health and happiness and not as much on that humble perspective and I I google (laughs) health happiness and a humble perspective and very few things come up and then 3H2 and it's some chemical ammonia formula thing so we're still pretty much under the radar and I do recognize the words health and happiness come together 
more frequently than with that third, humble. And humble uh, is not as prevalent, I would say, in linguistics, in thinking, in acting, in all over conscious behavior. So that's too what we look at with 3H2 humans is conscious behavior towards health, happiness, and a humble perspective. Anyone can talk, talk a big old game about how healthy, happy, and humble. Oh yeah, I'm this, I'm that, I'm whatever. But what the fuck is that? Not a whole lot. We like action. We like tangibility, that pink zone. For us, to jump a little bit more into the pink zone for humble perspective as a part of the constructive criticism is to incorporate humble a bit more. And maybe it's time for me to eat some humble pie. Uh, yeah, I've, I continue to <laughs> uh, attract people who I have difficulty tolerating. <laughs> and I, ah, uh, it's very frustrating. So in these times, I like to look within and I think uh, it's time to regain a humble perspective. And, and um, so for the 10 list, it is 10 list humble perspective explore. In contrast to universities and examinations and preset algorithms, this is not a preset algorithm. It is an exploration, similar to driving along a road or being in an, an environment, there is an ability to see deeper layers of that environment upon each exposure. Look for the deeper layers. That's what we do enjoy here. So here are some of the deeper layers to perhaps a humble perspective. Come explore these with us. As the format goes, we say the 10 list, 10 list humble perspective explore, and then offer the 10 components, and then go over them in a bit more detail. Running through, and just for shits and giggles, we got we still have the hourglass here, haven't used that in a while. Let's go ahead and see how long it takes to run through the 10 list. Okay, so number one is righteous anger. Acting on another's behalf, defending a just position. Putting another's well-being above one's own. Righteous anger. Number two, selfless behavior. Wake up early and contribute to home and society. Selfless behavior. Number three, get excited with someone. Sharing joy increases ability to share frustrations. Cut off by driver. What is the reaction? Who is a perfect driver? So that's number three, get excited with someone. Number four, explore frustrations. Understanding one's own behavior increases ability to accurately assess another's behavior. Number four, explore frustrations. Number five, tune out mass media. Ideas and language slash thinking patterns are contagious. Silence outside stimuli. Number five, tune out mass media. Number six, sleep on it. Sleep, deep sleep. Sleep often in cycles. Allow for body-mind restoration. Optimize sleeping conditions. Number six, sleep on it. Number seven, hydrate. Drink 1,000 milliliters or 32 ounces before eating or drinking a beverage. Increase 
satiated feeling. Early AM restores. Number eight, ditch the past equals go to the next level. Once a fault slash character flaw is identified, alter its equation slash position on continuum. React now to increase proactivity in future. Number eight, ditch the past equals go to the next level. Number nine, tip well, because at least it ain't me who's washing the dishes. (laughs) Um, Domino effect, kindness begets kindness. And it's uh, thinking about those who work hard for minimum wage. Number 10, identify human struggle. Each human experiences struggle uniquely. Have compassion for fellow organic creatures. So that is the 10 list, Humble Perspective Explorer. Yeah, so then we'll go through them one more time. Uh, Number one, righteous anger. Number two, selfless behavior. Number three, get excited with someone. Number four, explore frustrations. Number five, tune out mass media. Number six, sleep on it. Number seven, hydrate. Number eight, ditch the past equals go to the next level. Number nine, tip well. And number 10, identify human struggle. So there we go. Oh, and the hourglass has completed. Um, I wonder how close it was. That is the 10 list humble perspective. So let's start with righteous anger. So this was a phrase I heard yesterday on... Uh, or two days ago now. No, it was yesterday because I was in the shower the first time I had listened to the podcast, so I didn't even hear this section. Okay. (laughs) I do enjoy accuracy. So I, when I knew I had listened to the Healthbridge episode, Ageless Goddess, twice, but I heard this phrase the second time. It is sometimes a good idea to listen to things twice. There's that Uh, second layer, which is sometimes overlooked on first pass. So I heard this phrase, and I believe this is the phrase they used. Righteous anger. It's essentially acting on another's behalf, defending a just position, putting another's well-being above one's own, sticking up for someone who um, can't stick up for themselves. The other day I was watching a Whoopi Goldberg movie. I'm, I'm into Whoopi Goldberg right now. I think she's a great, strong female lead from the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, all her characters were awesome. I love Whoopi Goldberg and how she, she doesn't have her tits hanging out and she's witty and humorous. And I just, I, I think she's awesome. So I've been watching Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg movies and... I was watching Fatal Beauty, and she's undercover at a stakeout and about to make a big drug bust. But then there's a prostitute who she knows and, you know, has some association with is getting beat up by some other guy. So she goes and helps out the prostitute instead of completing this big undercover sting operation. I would consider something along those lines as righteous anger, where there's putting aside one's own ego and um, goals or whatever needs to seemingly 
needs to be done at the time. As Whoopi Goldberg did, she said, you know what, this big sting operation is important, but someone is in danger. Action needs to be taken. So she steps in and has that. It can also be in smaller ways. Another example would be, gosh, I don't remember quite where I saw it, but maybe YouTube or um, some internet search. Oh, no, 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 I think it was, maybe it was on a podcast. I was going to say, I don't really search for stuff, so I don't know how I would have found it that way. I think a podcast spoke about this guy who got so pissed up with the cable company, and he recorded the call, and he was like, you know, please disconnect the cable, and they're like, well, sir, please tell us why, and all this stuff, and they like would not let him disconnect his cable, so he puts on blast that company for its shitty practices, and for, like me, I essentially got sued by Frontier Communications for breach of contract because I moved, and the fee was $200, and my rent for a month at the time was 290 so it was almost a month's rent in a fee from Frontier Communications, and then this guy had a similar complication, so he's alleviating the pain of the masses. That's what I consider righteous anger, alleviating the pain of the masses. With that selfless types of behavior, so we're going to move into number two, selfless behavior. (sighs) Little things like waking up early and contributing to the home or to society, you know, get up that 10 minutes early and check to see if there's garbage around the exterior of the house or You know, there's a bazillion, trillion, million things that could be done on a daily basis which reflect selfless behavior. And oftentimes, they can be done in a minute or two. It's quite awesome how selfless behavior is, um, I believe, more prevalent than folks recognize within society where... You know, uh, there's some negative connotations, but I think look for it. Look for selfless behavior as well as participate in selfless behavior. Uh, and, and two, so Mustachio saying, how do these relate to a humble perspective? So first jumping right back up. I, I know that was too good of a segue. That's why I don't like cheesy segues and shit like that. Well, at least I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> Righteous anger, how does that go back to exploring a humble perspective? It takes a certain level of humility, of that humble perspective to recognize something is wrong and to understand that whether in the first example it's one individual, a kindness on that level or on a grand level of putting the cable company on blast for some of their shitty procedures and us as consumers voting with our dollar and not allowing giant corporations to just stick it to us whenever they feel like it. So righteous anger, humble perspective, looking out for fellow man. All right, and then selfless behavior. (laughs) So how does that wind back to a humble perspective? To me, they feel very synonymous that... A humble perspective is essentially selfless behavior. It's a culmination of the rest of these components. Yes, we shall move forward. (laughs) 
Number three, get excited with someone. Sharing joy increases ability to share frustrations. Sharing joy increases ability to share frustrations. So getting excited with someone. I think it creates a deeper correlation to where there's a joining of deeper levels of consciousness in that there's a pink zone communication. When there is that excitement and give a shits, that's pretty much what it boils down to is give a shit about something someone else is doing. There's a, a life force exchange with that. Um, I, I imagine parents experience this with children where it's just getting excited about something stupid like a box or an hourglass increases one's own joy. There's a contagious effect. I think that relates back to having a humble perspective is recognizing this, that exploring someone else's joy and getting excited with someone else increases the ability to feel excited oneself and to tap into that specific component of consciousness. And so an example too, to kind of measure this, I think this is a good, a good, depending on the outcome of this little experiment, I think it correlates with a degree of needing to get excited with someone. So what happens in a, in a traffic incident where a car cuts off in front or drives slow or tailgates or just is an overall dickhead? What is done in that situation? Look at the continuum yelling or not really caring. If there is an overexcitement, if there is that yelling, if there is that honking and the road rage and all that shit, I think that's an indication that person behind the wheel could use a prescription in getting excited with someone and tapping into that specific part of consciousness. Why do I believe they're correlated? Meh. Meh is just an intuitive thing. It's just something that I picture in my mind as healing those with road rage is to just get excited with someone. Tap in because there's that anger. I mean, and then jumping down to the next question, who is a perfect driver? I would consider myself a good driver. And we don't talk about good, bad, right, and wrong. I would consider myself a defensive heads up driver. I scan my environment. I anticipate what cars will do. I plan ahead. I leave plenty of distance. So I do these things, but I have my moments. Oh, there was one time in Pullman where I like ran two lights and there was a cop behind me. And he even said that he's like, yeah, what's going on? You're speeding running lights and I, I've been behind you. So I didn't even know I was there. Oh, I had relationship troubles. I was late to class. I was not in the moment. So I was being a shitty driver. I did not even notice an officer behind me while I'm running lights and driving like a dickhead. So who is a perfect driver? I don't think anyone is a perfect driver. I think even those who are heads up have their moments. A part of having a humble perspective is recognizing those moments in others saying like, yeah, I've been there. This has happened to me. Get excited with someone <laughs> as a remedy for road rage <laughs> and increasing a humble perspective. <laughs> 
sharing joy increases ability to share frustrations, to identify with others. Give the cutoff by a driver test. What is the reaction and define who is a perfect driver? Number four, explore frustrations. Understanding one's own behavior increases ability to accurately assess another. This is one that really is near and dear to my heart. So explore frustrations. I strongly believe one of the reasons why I'm able to connect with other people and connect with that subconscious and consciousness and like all these different layers and all this shit that's going on. I think because I understand my own behavior. If I hunch, look at the person and see, oh, this jackass is hunching. That's why I'm hunching. I'm mimicking this person's behavior. Okay, I'm going to put my shoulders back. They can do whatever the fuck they want to do. I'm going to be self-aware and control my own behaviors. Once this is achieved, where there is a mastery of one's own behaviors and character, it's as though the light's turned on and increased ability to accurately assess another comes true. Once the ego is removed, there is a, a closer layer of reality. I think that's perhaps the best way to preface it. Explore frustrations, understand one's own behavior, thus increasing the ability to accurately assess another. And to have a humble perspective, I think, goes with accurately assessing other people's behavior in stereotyping. That's a part of decreased accuracy in understanding one's own behavior. People who spout off stereotypes all the times and assumptions and all that shit. Be cognizant of one's own language. Is there a, oh, all the Republicans do this and oh and that and just, just a bunch of horseshit? that's the case, then there is perhaps a lack of understanding for one's own behavior, thus decreasing the accuracy to assess another's behavior. And I think, too, decreasing a humble perspective. I feel these variables are correlated. Um, okay. Number five, tune out mass media. Ideas and language slash thinking patterns are contagious silence outside stimuli. So we were talking earlier about the getting excited with someone, how thoughts are contagious. It is similar with negative things. If the news is all just about terrible shit and it's the mass media is saying, oh, like this cer certain product or whatever the case may be, it becomes contagious. And there are deeper levels of processing which go on when there is an exposure to stimuli, which is not a part of consciousness. And it's a little hard to grasp, but I think doing a little experiment of tuning out mass media for a week, just a week. Imagine there's 52 weeks in a year, years go by pretty fast, one of them, so then that leaves 51 weeks of mass media. Come on, not that big a deal. Shut her down, turn off the tweetamajigs and the insta my books and all of that stuff. Just tune it out. And allow for one's own ideas and language, thinking patterns, and ideal stimuli to come to fruition. It's quite amazing how the silence provides many answers. And I think tuning out mass media gives a closer perspective 
to one's own immediate area. And I think this contributes to a humble perspective in that there's more compassion for one's neighbor when that grand global scale is calmed a bit. And there's a realization that I can walk outside and do a bunch of cool shit and many people don't even have that freedom. And embrace what is had rather than what is not had. I think that's something that's a common theme in mass media is what is not had. To focus on what is had, the components of needs in life which are fulfilled. Number six, sleep on it. Sleep deep, sleep often, sleep in cycles. Allows for body and mind restoration, optimize sleeping conditions. Oh, it's so funny. Gosh, for the last, I think, month or so, maybe longer, I don't know, I keep saying I need to sleep flat. I need to lay flat. And I thought that it was Brian's position in the bed that made it go to the middle. And I don't know. It was just I was not sleeping very well. I just kept saying I need to lay flat. And then I looked, and it's a shitty bed frame. And part of it's broken. The outer sides are supported, and the middle is completely unsupported. Therein lies the problem. (laughs) The bed frame is shit. (laughs) Luckily, last night, Brian took it apart. We removed the frame, and now we just have the box frame and then the mattress on the ground, and it's flat. (laughs) Oh, so I had a... A great night of sleep. That was something I'd wish for every night before I'd go to bed. And now it is so. And I feel relieved on a subconscious level. Listen to the body and optimize sleeping conditions. So I I just kept saying I want to lay flat. I need to lay flat. But I didn't really understand what it was. But I kept going with it. I was like, okay, will this work? Will that work? Continue to investigate whatever that sensation is. And maybe it's the bed's too hard or too soft or buy new pillows. Oftentimes that helps. They're 20, 30, maybe 40 bucks or so. I think that's a a decent investment if it's something that touches the body for almost as long as a person works. Eight hours longer. Sleep on it. And two, I am a fan of resting cycles of, well, <laughs> that may be because of some bipolar manic depressiveness. <laughs> but hey, maybe it works for other people too. I don't know. But for me, I like to do sleep cycles where every now and then I do like to sleep for like two days and just do nothing. And it's weird. I've recently had that um, and it was quote unquote sickness. <laughs> I think it was sleep deprived in some ways. Is it possible to catch up on sleep? Eh, I don't know. But is it possible to let the body restore itself during current deep sleep? I think so. And I notice for me, I'm a lot less of a dickhead when I have sleep. When I am able to rest, my body heals itself. I'm raring to go. Uh, So now with a flat sleeping surface, I'm, I'm really excited to see what changes are afoot. And I do encourage everyone to optimize sleeping conditions 
because then if the body can do what it needs to do during sleep, then I think there's a decreased propensity to be a dickhead. <laughs> and what is the opposite of a humble perspective is being a dickhead. <laughs> so sleep on it. Number seven, hydrate. Drink a thousand milliliters slash 32 ounces before eating or drinking a beverage. Increase satiated feelings early AM restores. These two kind of go hand in hand for what I'm working on to help repair my humble perspective. I think a lot of the, the tone of these have to do with introspection, focusing on oneself, because I think that's really where a humble perspective begins, is within oneself and optimizing one's own body and mind and having needs met, thus more can be offered to others. Hydrating, I think, is awesome-tacular. I'm going to take a little swig. It's refreshing. (laughs) And um, in the past, before I got sick, I would wake up and drink coffee right away. Bam, coffee, 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 or Red Bull. Some sort of mass-marketed, mass-produced product. I'm beginning to think this may not be the best idea. After sleeping and sweating and essentially fasting, I think it is beneficial to start the day off with hydration, with allowing fresh water to enter the body so that the cells which compose the body are able to have fresh water. That is a source of cell structure and to replace the water cells, I think is a good idea. First thing in the morning. And two, so with the increased satiated feelings, for me, I would drink coffee and drink it and feel off and feel like I was still thirsty and then drink more. And I just kept wanting to drink some other package thing. And I think perhaps what I've been craving is water. I'm dehydrated. And when I'm dehydrated, I'm not as nice of a person. It's strange. Uh, I'm sensitive to hydration levels. And perhaps other people are as well. So if I'm hydrated, then I tend to be a bit happier and able to project a humble perspective. Number eight, ditch the past equals let go and Go to next level. Once a fault or character flaw is identified, alter its equation slash position on continuum. React now to increase proactivity in the future. Okay, so what is this talking about? Ditch the past to go to the next level. So I think one of the reasons why certain people pick on other people is due to inner insecurities. That's where you know, oh, this person is whatever comes from, is oftentimes in insecurity within. If a fault or character flaw is identified, sometimes it's difficult to alter the equation or to move the position on the continuum. I do feel as though reacting now is the best thing to do. Once that character flaw is identified to move forward. (laughs) So for an example, 
Oh, my favorite uh, pop icon, Tim Ferriss of The Tim Ferriss Show, brought to you and produced by Tim Ferriss of the four-hour franchise. Uh, it was relieving to hear him say, oh, I write books that sound like a 2 a.m. infomercial. I was, I was like, yes, he's coming around. Um, I think that's holding him up. And perhaps the cause of his frustration is that he knows now that the four-hour chef, the four-hour body, the four-hour, that's yesteryear. That's the past. It's something he was and will continue to be for as long as he allows that to be the case. But it sounds as though he's recognized perhaps some people look, uh, um, don't quite consider him as valid of a resource because of that 2 a.m. infomercial, markety, kind of used car salesman type of mentality. It's been brought to light, a fault, a character flaw has been identified, and now I would recommend for him to alter the equation, to change position on the continuum and to react now. Increase an ability to be proactive in the future. Um, I think this angst of who he was back when he first wrote The 4-Hour Workweek is a vastly different person than who he is now. And essentially this franchise of thinking, I think it's holding him back. And I think many people have this same thing. Um, it's like the golden goose, you know? Who wants to slaughter the golden goose? But some people get tired and they want a silver goose or a sapphire goose or some other type of goose. And I think it's time to goose on forward. <laughs> to, uh, I don't know, it's hard to explain but I think ditching the past equals going to the next level. That it is getting to one mountain and then seeing a bigger mountain in the distance and going for that bigger mountain. I think Tim Ferriss is great. I think he has a lot of great ideas, but for me as a consumer, I'm turned off by the whole gimmicky stuff. I wanna see more authentic Tim. I wanna see him in a... Um, just a more authentic, genuine manner. And I think a part of authenticity is letting go of the past, is recognizing that who I was is not necessarily who I am. And I think it increases an ability to know oneself. And then that goes back to being able to identify with others. So that's how that ties into the humble perspective. Ditching the past, living in the moment, creates that pink zone, humble perspective connection. So that's number eight. Ditch the past, go to the next level. Find that new mountain in the distance. Number nine, tip well. Because at least it ain't you. Oh, that's why I didn't like that. Oh my gosh. <gasps> Well, I, yeah, I would still consider I almost misused the word you because at least it ain't you working hard for minimum wage. Even though essentially this could apply to anyone listening to this as an individual, I still think that's pish posh. And it's about me because fuck it because at least I ain't washing the dishes. 
That's what I, uh, I'm going to remove this U. Oh, I need to write that U book and just be free of this. Okay, so tip well, because at least I ain't washing dishes anymore and working hard for minimum wage. Uh, so I do feel for those in the service industry as well as any type of tipping business. I'm, uh, <laughs> oh gosh, this is uh, <laughs> so funny. Brian makes fun of me. He's like, you tip everybody. Somebody could just be standing there and you'd tip them. <laughs> and one of the funny things about jokes is oftentimes there is a seed of truth. And, um, I do tend to tip because, you know, throughout my life, I've had odd jobs and some job, like working at a toy store, wrapping gifts and stuff. That wasn't a tipping job, but somebody tipped me and it felt nice. I was like, fuck yeah, this person gets it. I'm working retail and wrapping presents at Christmas time and getting paid near minimum wage and working these holiday hours. And yeah, it was five bucks, but more so than what the $5 could buy me, it bought me some, not dignity, but it, just some give a shits. That's really the best way I can measure it, is it bought me some give a shits. The gesture itself meant more than the monetary value. And I think that's a part of tipping well. And tipping is that other component, the domino effect. That kindness begets kindness. So I've put begets on the ignition card lookup list. I think this is like a Bible-y word. It was the word that jumped in my head, so I wrote it down. Kindness begets kindness. And I think that's um, something that comes before or um, kindnesses cause kindnesses back to contagious thinking. So how I was having not a shitty day, I appreciate most days, even the shitty jobs I've had, but to, um, it was the, I think it's the, more of the motivation behind the gesture. Rather than calculate out exactly 20% and do all this shit for like saving $2 or, yeah, you give the person a five and it's like, you're, you only want $1 and, you know, just fuck, it's a dollar, it's 50 cents, it's $2, it's $5. I mean, that little amount adds up over time. And I think that increases the kindness domino effect. I think it's too about supporting local businesses, the, uh, the tipping industries. When I tip or offer a kindness to someone else, I think that does increase my humble perspective in that I'm grateful it's not me. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm done. Who knows? Maybe I'll go back. I don't know. But uh, at 33, I think um, I would like to do other things, but I have a great appreciation for those who do work hard for minimum wage. So all y'all out there, just keep up the struggle. And uh, we're grateful for everyone who helps to contribute to public environment, to restaurants and services within the community. Number nine, tip well. Number 10, identify human struggle. 
Each human experiences struggle uniquely. Have compassion for fellow organic creatures. This is one of the largest pieces of the puzzle in terms of a humble perspective, and that's identifying the human struggle. Looking at the person who there may be aggression or fear or some sort of negative emotion towards and recognize that positions could be switched. Oftentimes it takes small instances to have a huge impact. Many of us are one day away from living out on the streets or what if a major catastrophe hits, whatever it may be, there's a human struggle that all of us face. And we as humans, as organic creatures, relying on domesticated animals within our care. It's about taking care of those who experience an inability to care for themselves rather than cast negative emotions to identify one's own struggle with another. Yeah, this is hard to articulate. Identify human struggle. It's, um, for me, it was when I humanized other human. Well, but ooh, okay, yeah, as things start with the self, it was when I humanized myself. Yes, so I humanized myself, and then I was able to humanize others. Maybe that's really where it all begins, is humanizing the self. Each human experiences struggle uniquely, have compassion for fellow organic creatures. And I think this goes to animals, too, caring for them. Ugh, for me, yesterday I had quite a scare in the fish tank. I cleaned it out and then did a head count and Mufungo was missing and I took all the plants out and took the filter apart and couldn't find him and looked in the rocks and I was just like what is going on and then I just thought oh Mufungo if you're in there just let me know where and I will get you and I concentrated and thought and I it's like I could feel that Mufungo was still there he was there somewhere I just couldn't see him and um I gave up and I started to put the tank back together. Something told me to just look in the back one more time to look. And I did. And there was Mafungo underneath the rocks. Oh, I reached in there and moved the rocks off of him. And then he swam out. And it was a gratifying feeling, a deep gratification for being able to free him. And essentially it was my fault. I moved the rocks. And uh, so when I say rocks, it's, I have a bio ube, 10 gallon, I think it's really a nine gallon fish tank. And they're like biological components. So it, they're kind of like lava rock. They're not heavy rock. Um, yeah, and now he's okay. He's just swimming around. I identified with his struggle. I Although Mofungo is not a human, he's a little fish that's within my care. He's a part of my tribe, my ecosystem. If I'm able to contribute to his or any other creature's well-being, I would like to. And that gratification felt right at the moment I was ready to give up. It was that Hal Mary that, oh, I know you're in here. Where are you? And, uh... <sighs> yeah, so offer that to people. Offer that extra attention to stop 
the noise and focus on some other organic creature's needs above one's own. I think that has to do with having a humble perspective as well. All right, so that was the 10 list for Humble Perspective Explorer. Let's go ahead and run through one more time. Number one, righteous anger. Acting on another's behalf, defending a just position, putting another's well-being above one's own. Number two, selfless behavior. Wake up early and contribute to home or society. Number three, get excited with someone. Sharing joy increases ability to share frustrations. Give uh, oneself the cut off by the driver test or, you know, irritant by another. What is the reaction? Who is a perfect driver or a perfect citizen, a perfect human? Number four, explore frustrations. Understanding one's own behavior increases ability to accurately assess another. Number five, tune out mass media. Ideas and language slash thinking patterns are contagious. Silence outside stimuli. Number six, sleep on it. Sleep deep. Sleep often. Sleep in cycles. Allow for body and mind restoration. Optimize sleeping conditions. Number seven, hydrate. Drink 1,000 milliliters slash 32 ounces before eating or drinking another beverage in the morning. Increases satiated feelings early a.m. Restores water sweat through the night. Number eight, ditch the past equals go to the next level. Once a fault slash character flaw is identified, alter its equation slash position on the continuum. React now. Increase ability to be proactive in the future. Number nine, tip well. Because at least it ain't me who's washing the dishes. Uh, appreciate those who work hard for minimum wage. There is a domino effect. Kindness begets kindness. Number 10, identify human struggle. Each human experiences struggle uniquely. Have compassion for fellow organic creatures. All right, and that is the 10 list for Humble Perspective. Hum Humble Perspective Explorer. And I think that went pretty well. Yeah, maybe it's too a good idea uh, to do a health and a happiness one. And we can get this whole 3H2Humans thing explained. That is one of the objectives I would like to reach prior to the Earth Day launch. Is giving a bit more of a definition of what 3H2Humans is and how to explore uh, health, happiness, and a humble perspective that it is an individual, and each individual will have their own um, ideas of what health, happiness, and a humble perspective mean, and I think that's worth exploring. <laughs> and also in the works is a five list. Five list coming up. I am excited about that. Thus far, we have movies and podcasts uh, I think it was similar, movies, podcasts, and mentors last time. So lots of good positive stimuli. I think that's what each human benefits from, is some sort of positive stimuli every now and then. So, all right, Mustache, you and I would like to wish everyone health, happiness, and a humble perspective. 
diligence today equals a thriving community tomorrow. Enjoy.